Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. By the way, the guy, Brian Harrison, that Donald Trump put in charge of developing a vaccine for the United States, not only was he a dog breeder before, but he was a very specific type of dog breeder. He just did labradoodles. Isn't that encouraging? Dr. Rick Bright ousted as the director of the U.S. Health Department's Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority because he wouldn't hustle on behalf of hydrochloroquine. He wrote basically an op-ed. He said, specifically and contrary to misguided directives, I limited the broad use of chloroquine promoted by the administration as a panacea, but which clearly lacked scientific merit. I rightly resisted efforts to provide an unproven drug on demand to the American public. And a study among U.S. veterans found that not only did neither of them produce any benefit to people who are sick and are the recipients of it, but... Not only do they not provide any benefit, but they're actually causing people to have heart attacks. Alex Azar, the former Eli Lilly drug CEO or senior executive, I think he was CEO, who presided over the company when it more than doubled the price of insulin. He put a guy by the name of Brian Harrison in charge of the entire department, the Health and Human Services HHS controls the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, and the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA. And Alex Azar has put a new guy in charge of regulating the CDC and the FDA. His name is Brian Harrison. His previous job, what he did for six years before he came to work for Alex Azar, he was a dog breeder. This guy has absolutely no experience in public health. A dog, a friggin' dog breeder. In fact, that's how they refer to him in the White House. They don't even know his name. So how's the dog breeder doing? He's the guy in charge of our response to the pandemic. A dog breeder. In an oligarchy, loyalty is more important than competence or science or even reality. And with the Trump administration, it appears that we have slid into a full-blown oligarchy. And the question now is, will America be able to return to normalcy? Or is the Trump oligarchy going to slide into tyranny? Certainly Bill Barr and some of the things that he said recently suggest that 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 latter will be the case. Donald Trump still has his hands on the reins of this country for another, what, eight, nine months, eight and a half months. It's going to be a tough one. The latest example of Trump's oligarchic governance 
is firing the guy who, his name was Dr. Bright, who was in charge of developing a coronavirus vaccine here in the United States. And he fired this guy because after Fox News put on this quack doctor saying that hydrochloroquine is the miracle cure, and then that got amplified by Sean Hannity and a bunch of other people who know nothing about medicine, and Trump watched it on TV and maybe noticed that he has substantial investments in the company that makes this stuff and went on national television and started promoting it. And Dr. Bright, who is in charge of America's vaccine development, said, "Uh, I'm not going to authorize giving this to people until we've got some scientific studies. And so Trump fired him. Now, yesterday, Trump was asked about him. He says, I don't even know his name. Right. If he doesn't know his name, Trump should be firing whoever fired him. But somehow I find that hard to believe. This is at the same time today that Germany is beginning clinical trials in humans for a coronavirus vaccine that has already worked in mice. And we've got nothing. We've got a president firing the guy in charge of vaccine because he wouldn't go along with the Fox News hustle. Meanwhile, Betsy DeVos, our education secretary, is now pushing micro-grants for education. This is the new term for vouchers. In fact, she, she said, this is an opportunity. The EPA continues to loosen regulations that protect us from cancer-causing chemicals. The Interior Department continues to sell off American land for pennies on the dollar to big mining and drilling operations. And the Fed, in violation of the law, is continuing to buy junk bonds from big corporations and stock out of the stock market to keep the market up. You wonder why is the market going up? The Fed is buying stock. At almost every level of the federal government right now, we are seeing grifters and hustlers do everything they can to support the Trump oligarchy, while physicians like Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci are having to humiliate themselves in public by bowing and scraping before Trump every night on television. Is this national nightmare going to continue for another four and a half years? Have we passed the point of no return? We're in full-blown oligarchy. The Trump campaign is now running ads about how Joe Biden was like friends with Osama bin Laden. God only knows. I mean, really? By the way, Professor Richard Wolf is going to be with us the economist, a professor of economics, and I want to ask him, what's the relationship between deflation and depressions? None of us, maybe somebody who's in their 90s or 100 or something, but by and large, none of us have a good memory, you know, an adult memory of the last time America experienced deflation. Deflation is where the value of the dollar goes up and prices go down and wages go down. And that's what happened in the era from 1930 to basically 1940. Well, really from 1930 to around 1936. We were in a major deflationary spiral. The price of oil seems to indicate that we're moving in that direction now. Adam Schiff tweeting, tens of thousands have died, tens of millions are unemployed, but the Senate Republicans have their priorities in order. No hazard pay for frontline workers, no food aid for hungry Americans, and no funding to state and local governments crying out for help. Good job, Mitch. Charter operators, this is from Raw Story by Jeff Bryant from the Independent Media Institute, who I write for. 
Charter operators rolled out new marketing campaigns to lure families to enroll in their schools. This, you know, as I said, Betsy DeVos said this is an opportunity. There's this new media narrative around it. She said that in an interview with Glenn Beck. Oh, God's sake. This is an opportunity, she said. On March 27th, one of her first reactions to the pandemic was to urge Congress to provide micro-grants. A week and a half later, she unveiled a federal investment of more than $200 million dollars in federal grants to help 13 charter school management companies. He notes, it's not at all clear the new grants come with any measures, any new measures to oversee how they spend the money. The Network for Public Education found that since the charter grants program's inception, approximately $1.17 billion has gone to charter schools that never opened or that opened and have since shut down. The 37% failure rate, uh, the largest grant $72 million is going to the IDEA charter chain, which plan to use $2 million in taxpayer money to buy a luxury private jet. They spend hundreds of thousands of dollars annually on tickets and luxury box seats at the end San Antonio Spurs NBA games. They spend over $800,000 on luxury travel, including private jets and limos. The IDEA CEO, Tom Torkelson, took a private jet to Tampa to meet with DeVos. She sees this as a great opportunity to privatize all the schools, and she's giving millions of dollars to charter school operators who are using that money to fly in private jets to go meet with Betsy DeVos and buying private jets for their charter school companies. Honest to God. And now you look at uh, the Texas governor, Greg Abbott. He's put together a reopening task force. Any mayors on that task force? No. Any members of the Texas legislature? Even Republicans? No. Who's on his task force? Well, 27 donors. People who give him a lot of money. It's chair, this is the Texas task force, right? It's chair James Huffinus is a former bank executive who hits chief operating officer. Mike Toomey is until recently one of the state's leading business lobbyists. Former chief of staff to Rick Perry. Well-known entrepreneurs like the owner of the Houston Rockets and the founders of Dell Technologies, Kendra Scott, Michael Dell. The mayor of Austin, Steve Adler, says, it is disappointing to see that it appears to me no local elected official was invited to participate in these panels. I mean, this is, you know, grifters on parade, right? It's grifters, top to bottom, left to right. Is America going to survive, American democracy going to survive this, this oligarchy that Donald Trump seems committed to imposing on us? I'm starting to wonder. I'm starting to be very, very concerned. Bill Barr is threatening to sue governors. To sue governors. He said this on Tuesday to Hugh Hewitt, the crazed right-winger over at Salem Radio, the company that's funded by selling Bibles. Bill Barr says, These are very, very burdensome impingements on liberty. We adopted them for the limited purpose of slowing down the spread that is bending the curve. We didn't adopt them as a comprehensive way of dealing with disease. I didn't know the bar adopted anything. He runs the Justice Department, not Health and Human Services. Health and Human Services is run by the guy who used to run Eli Lilly and raise the price of insulin. And that's all you get with the Trump administration. You know, grifters, top to bottom. And then there's what may well be the biggest grift of all is Trump constantly saying things to manipulate markets. My question for you, do you think that we are past the point of no return? Will we recover from this? How do you think this is going to play out? So here's the ultimate grift. 
The price of oil is collapsing. So Trump goes out yesterday and tweets a threat against Iran. And as the Financial Times noted, oil prices, well, this is the day before yesterday, oil prices rebounded on Wednesday after Donald Trump stoked Middle East tensions, saying that he had ordered U.S. warships to shoot down and destroy Iranian vessels. The declaration from Mr. Trump buoyed the high-yield bond market. BlackRock's iShare rose 1%. This is the Tom Hartman Program. As the Financial Times notes, the prospect of renewed tensions in the Middle East gave crude oil a lift. Oh, isn't that sweet of him? Grifter's got a grift, I'm telling you. On the line with us is, excuse me, Professor Richard Wolff. The professor of economics, the author of numerous books, including most recently, Understanding Socialism. He's the co-founder of democracyatwork.info and his website, rdwolf with two fs.com as well. You can tweet him at profwolf, P-R-O-F-W-O-L-F-F, Dr. Wolf. Welcome back. I wanted to ask you about deflation. I don't think probably anybody alive outside of maybe a nursing home actually remembers the last time America experienced a consequential and long-lasting deflation. And the price of oil right now causes me to be concerned that we may be moving toward a deflationary environment. What is deflation and what's its relationship with depressions as opposed to recessions? Okay. First of all, simply a deflation, think of it as the opposite of an inflation, a situation in which there's a general decline in prices. Think of it as prices of goods and services that you buy in a store going down, usually together with wages and salaries also going down. When you have a general decline like that, it is the opposite of an inflation, and we call that a deflation. It has happened in history many times. Sometimes it's slow and lasts for several years. You barely notice it. It's a percent or two or three per year that prices kind of inch down. And sometimes it's catastrophic. In modern times, the one that most people point to in the 1920s in Germany, just to give you an example, my grandparents and my mother's parents were German, lived in Berlin at the time, and I was told stories that my grandfather would run home from the store where he worked at midday for his lunch break, never eat at the store as he had once done, because he ran home with a paper bag full of money, which he handed off a bit like a relay runner to my grandma, who then ran with it to the store to buy groceries, because if they hadn't done that, if they had waited until the evening when he was done with his workday, that money would have lost so much value because the prices would have tripled or quadrupled in the afternoon. That's an inflation, the opposite of the deflation. But there are occasions when you have had a collapse of prices. Even during the 1930s, when wages and salaries went down, there was also a general fall in prices here in the United States, which kind of softened the burden on people who either had lost their job or had to take lower wages because they were able to get away with paying lower prices for goods. 
There's no necessity that a depression goes together with a deflation. It can be if what happens, and here's the logic of it, if people are depressed because they've lost their job the way it's happening right now and have no income the way it's happening right now, and they go to the store and the storekeeper sees that nobody in the village or in the town or in the city has enough money, the storekeepers can become desperate that they're never going to move the stuff off the shelf. And so in order to keep business going, they begin to drop prices. And then you have this kind of back and forth between falling prices and falling wages uh, kind of causing each other. That could happen. It's not a necessity, particularly if the Federal Reserve and the government keep pumping vast amounts of new money, then that's a little bit less likely to happen than might otherwise have been the case. Oh, that's interesting. I, I had always believed that when deflation got really substantial, that part of it was that money was much less available, that there was an association with the availability of credit, there was an association with the availability of, of money in general, the money supply had contracted and that was related to the deflation. Was that the case in the 1930s in the United States and might we be looking at something like that in the United States now? Or do you, is, in other words, is oil the outlier here or is oil the leading indicator? You never know until it sort of plays itself out. At this point, oil would have to be considered the outlier because you haven't seen anything like that quite happening before. But oil is not the only thing going down in prices. Over the last month or so, even though it's up and down, the general situation of stocks, for example, they're lower priced than they were, say, two months ago. So the, the trend is down there, too. The government is desperately trying to reverse that, just like they're trying to reverse the thing with oil. They're terribly afraid that a deflation would set off a kind of a, a cycle, a spiral of people cutting prices as they see the prices falling around them. You know, competitors can get desperate if you're the first one to lower the price and the few people that can afford things therefore run uh, to you, then the competitor, your competitor, will have to competitively drop his or her prices as well. These things can get underway, and with a boost like a drop in the price of oil, you can see, just for example, the alternatives to oil, wherever they exist, they are now in trouble because everybody who could buy oil at a ridiculously low price is going to shift from gas or coal or whatever else they were using to oil, and that's going to be an incentive for these other producers to start lowering their prices. And then when the manufacturers or storekeepers lower their prices, the next step is to put tremendous pressure on their workers, on their labor unions, telling them, look, we can't get the price we used to, so we're not going to be able to pay your wages the way we used to. And then you get what's called a wage price spiral, which can go down just like it can go up. My dad, who uh, was a child during the Great Depression, once told me that, in his opinion, the main thing that was driving deflation during the Depression was the fact that unemployment was so widespread that employers just kept cutting wages because there were always people willing to work for less. Is that something that we might see here now that we're approaching 20 percent unemployment in the United States? Absolutely. Absolutely. You're going to see that happen. And the only question, you know, it's always a question of countervailing or counterbalancing forces. You're going to see uh, wages be cut. You're going to be, have people threatening 
to work for less and taking the job of the next man or woman down the line by offering to work for less. You're going to see employers who are in tough shape wanting to take advantage of that, feeling once they can pay a worker less, maybe then they can get a jump on their competitor by lowering the price of whatever they have to sell, since it won't hurt so much, since they're getting away with paying lower wages. You can get into a wage price spiral downward just as easily from a lower wage as you could from a lower oil price or anything else. And it terrifies people because, for example, if you have a deflation when all prices and wages go down, here's something that doesn't go down, your dollar debt. The real cost to you of the debts you have to pay become even higher if all of the money transactions, your wages and the prices you pay, go down. The one thing that doesn't is the $800,000 house that you have, that you have a mortgage that you have to keep paying because those don't get adjusted. You begin to have real displacements within the economy. Right. So the people who are cash rich, the, the, the billionaires, they make out really well during that time. People who are they in debt buy get every, screwed. The minute those, that's right. The minute the prices fall, the people with the money buy literally everything. Amazing. Professor Richard Wolf, democracyatwork.info. Thank you, Dr. Wolf. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? The great scam by Betsy the Clown is something I brought up when this all started, the whole virus thing and the schools closing, and I realized this with the opportunity to have these all these Zoom meetings that we're having, and I've been participating in in my life, and I go back to, I just have to give credit where credit is due, the greatest lesson that Norm Goldman ever taught me, which is be careful not to prove too much. Be careful what you prove, and what we're proving here is that we don't need the public schools. And this is exactly what I expected Betsy the Clown to do, was come out with this idea that these can be just these 
cloud schools or Zoom schools or whatever you want to do. And the, the thing about it is they can get huge, you know, you can have huge access. So in this case, you probably won't have to collect that much intuition from each person, right? Because you, you can get a whole bunch of people in on it. And they'll just say, oh, yeah, well, the public schools don't we need to do this because we can do – the public schools are doing this on Zoom anyway or whatever they're using, whatever platform they're using. And, and we, so we'll just do it that way. So every person should have a choice as to what cloud school you want to go to, right? you got to have all your choices. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's doing this and she's rolling this out. How do you think it's going to play out, Paul? I, you know, it's, it seems to me, I mean, she's privatized more than half the schools in Michigan already. That's her home state. Right. And from my understanding, the charter schools in Michigan are not doing very well. They're not really outproving any better than the public schools. How do I think it'll play out? I think it will get traction with, uh, with the Trump crowd. I really do, because the argument will be. The argument, you know, when I started teaching back in the 80s and into the 90s, uh, and I did work in private schools and you know, where we, we did one-on-one stuff. And one of the arguments was uh, against that, what do you call that, that, that idea was that, well, the, the kids in, in your school aren't getting good socialization because you all teach one-on-one and there's really no classroom interaction. And, and then we pointed out the other advantages that you get from having a more personal relationship with your teacher. But now they can't really point out any differences when you're comparing the public schools and you're all, everybody's going everybody's gonna to be on a Zoom you know, the Zoom cloud or whatever. You, I don't know what to call that. Right. But these cloud classrooms, platform. cloud classrooms, I guess, cloud platform classrooms, they'll say, what, what's the difference? There's no difference. So they, they will want to, you know, a lot of these people, the, the uh, charter schools, they, they want to sell it based on ideology, really. It's going to be what we want to teach, and we want a choice and not having to have our kids' children's minds polluted with liberalism. And so I think they will say it's, this, we, we should get a choice. And, of course, the argument I've always said, because they've always said the money should follow the kid. And yeah. my argument against that was, yeah, but how much money should follow the kid? How much? You know, this, this didn't start in a protest against liberalism, Paul. This started in a protest against school integration. I mean, that's, that's yeah. where this whole movement started back in the 1950s. You know, I think they're still pushing that. Bill in Clifton, New Jersey. Hey, Bill, what's up? Hey, Tom. I got really scared when I heard you mention letting the states go bankrupt because my family, 20 years ago, we switched our investments from stocks into municipal bonds because we we thought it was more benign and beneficial form of capitalism to be funding infrastructure projects in local states and things. And as you know, they pay little or nothing to begin with but you have the advantage of not paying federal income tax on it. And if you do it in the state you live, you don't pay state income tax either. But that brings the profit up to maybe 3 or 4%. So it's not right. anything big. And these are government-backed uh, uh, AAA bonds. And the mere yeah. mention of a state going bankrupt is going to destroy the bond. That, what's left of that It already bond. has, Bill. It already has. Uh, Louise and I had put a good chunk of our uh, retirement money into uh, Oregon municipal bonds because, the, as you point out, the interest is tax-free. And I'm still working, you know, so, you know, reduce the taxes, although it's not that much. But, geez, about a month ago or so, I noticed that this bond fund was just, like, dropping like a stone. 
And yeah. so I started digging around and it was dropping because the marketplace is saying, wait a minute, this was both muni bonds and state bonds, because the market is speculating that a lot of municipalities in particular, maybe not states, but a lot of municipalities may well go bankrupt. And so these bonds are starting to have right. to pay higher interest rates, which means that the value, the price of the bonds goes down. And so we saw right. you know, a, a year's worth of appreciation in that bond fund wiped out in a couple of days. And so I just sold them. I just got out of it. I'm just completely in cash right now. And uh, it's just, you know, uh, but your point is well taken and, and uh, people need to pay attention to that. And Mitch McConnell is playing with fire here. Uh, he's absolutely playing with fire. Um, you know, if he thinks that he's going to uh, threaten basically bankruptcy of the states. It's incredible. Ramon in San Francisco. Hey, Ramon, thanks for listening to AM 910. What's up? Boss, uh, you're the greatest. Thank you for your education. Listen, I was reading an article in the Chronicle about a month ago in which there was an airplane coming from China heading for Germany with equipment that they already had arranged and they already bought, they already had bought it. So the Germans were waiting for it and as the plane landed in Thailand, and the plane was loaded with 80 tons of equipment, PPEs and ventilators and stuff like that. So as the plane landed in Thailand, Americans came over to cover and they stole the shipment. So poor Germans, they pay for the stuff. Chinese send it to them, but they were intercepted. And the article was called International Piracy. So anybody's interested, check out the Chronicle for that article. So that's the first time huh. I heard that they were doing this. So, so we're hijacking it. personal protective equipment outside the United States as well. I want to fact check that, Ramon, but yeah, uh, I would do so. It was in the back Chronicle. Yeah. It's called International Which Virus. Chronicle? San Francisco Chronicle? Yes, yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. I'll check okay, it bye. out. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ramon. Good to hear from bye. you. Pam in Chicago. Hey, Pam, what's up? There is an allegiance of people who are going to follow Trump. And as the hip-hop community says, they're just ride or die with Trump. And these are people... Mm -hmm working class people as well as, you know, educated people. So once mm -hmm. Trump is defeated, Tom, how are we going to deal with the uh, Republican Party and those who will still carry out the will and just the deceit of Donald Trump? And I I'm really concerned about that because he's influenced a whole group of young political operatives young um, high school students, uh, grade students. I mean, he's influencing a lot of people who will carry out his agenda. And also, Tom, I just wanted to say, you're absolutely right. What kind of election is Biden running? You have to throw protocol out of the window. I understand normally after July 4th, everything kicks in. It needs to kick in now. What is his social media team doing? Every time Trump, right. Ma right. Trump makes a tweet, they should tweet. This nonsense about uh, ingesting or injecting some type of disinfectant is crazy. And then I'll leave you lastly with yeah, this time, sorry. if I may. Yeah. Uh, you know, the COVID-19 is devastating uh, the black community. And so uh, mm -hmm. we're working hard to try to get out masks and and educate and, and do some other things. But, you know, that, that all is attributed, a lot of that, to just the, the racial disparities in health care. We need Medicare for yes. all, and we need a health care system. I don't care how you deliver it, single-payer for everyone. And on CNN... Yes, I, I agree. 
on CNN, um, Anderson Cooper had a, a town hall meeting with Sanjay Gupta, and they interviewed a Dr. Han from the CDC. You have to really see this, Tom, because Anderson Cooper... Pam? Pam just vanished. Okay, I'm sorry, Pam. Your your audio just vanished uh, all of a sudden. But Pam asked the question, how do we deal with the Republican Party after Trump is gone? And the answer is very simple. We do it the same way that Franklin Roosevelt did in 1933 when the Republican Party was gone. Herbert Hoover was out. The Democrats took over the House of Representatives overwhelmingly. And with the single exception of these two anomalous elections in the 1950s and 60s, where they held the House for two years, outside of that, for three generations, the Democratic Party held the House of Representatives. For two generations, the majority of two or three generations, they held the, the Senate and, and uh, you know, in a good chunk of the White House. And what did they do? They marginalized the Republicans. They pointed out, as Franklin Roosevelt did over and over and over again, that the Republican Party only cares for the rich and powerful. Um, I, I, when I'm doing the show from home here, I can't play clips for you, but you've all heard my Harry Truman clips. Or Harry Truman is saying, you know, the Republican Party only cares for the rich and powerful. And the Democratic Party is here for the working man. And, you know, he, they, the, you just start repeating that. You call them out. You point out. It's, you know, Andrew Cuomo was doing it this morning on TV about Mitch McConnell or yesterday afternoon. Actually, I saw it on TV this morning where he was saying, you know, Mitch McConnell saying, we're not going to give the blue states a bailout. They can go bankrupt. And, and Cuomo comes out and says, you know, for every dollar that, New- I, this isn't exactly what he said. This is my saying it. But basically, for every dollar that New York State sends to Washington, D.C., they get back, you know, less than a dollar. For every dollar that Kentucky sends to Washington, D.C., they get way back more than a dollar. Where does that come from? All that money that Kentucky gets that's been subsidizing Kentucky for the last 60 years? That money is coming from New York and California and other blue states. The blue states are the maker states. The blue states are paying more than they're getting. The red states are the taker states. They're the ones who are living on the federal dole and have been for generations which is why I wrote an op-ed a couple of weeks ago proposing that we simply do away with the federal income tax, do away with all the federal welfare programs, and let the states run them. Let the states raise their tax, their income tax up to 30-40% and start doing Medicare for all and create a compact with the, with, uh, the uh, western states, Washington, Oregon, California, some of the midwestern states like Illinois, and, and the northeastern states, and you know, create a Medicare for all system and do all those kind of, you know, there's a lot that can be done without the Republicans and to get around the Republicans. So, Secondly, how are you economically handling shelter in place? You know, there's a variety of responses to this. Susie Orman has some eyebrow-raising advice, saying things she's never said before. Uh, She's always said, pay off your credit cards in full, do it right now, right away, get rid of your mortgage, all those kind of things. And now she's saying, and I quote, The biggest piece of advice I've been giving people is don't pay off your credit cards in full. Just pay the minimum amount due. Keep your cash as if it's gold right now. Put all the expenses you can on your credit card. And she doesn't mean load up on expenses. She means, you know, the the essential things that you're paying for. If you can move them to a credit card, do it rather than writing a check for them. So, you know, if you can put your rent or your utility bills or anything like that on a credit card. And, uh, you know, of course, the reason why is because you can always declare bankruptcy against a credit card. I mean, she doesn't say this, but I, you know, it's, it's implicit. You can always declare bankruptcy against a credit card. You can't recover money from your checking account when you've used it to pay, uh, you know, your electric bill. So 
She says, call your credit card company and ask them if you can get a lower interest rate or even a 0% interest rate. Um, contact your mortgage company, your insurance companies, your car insurance company. Hey, I'm, I'm not driving. Uh, how about a higher deductible and a lower monthly payment? Good idea. Your utility companies, some utility companies will let you postpone your payments for a few months without penalty right now. Student loan companies. Um, have you tried any of this stuff? Does any of this work for you? I got, you know, it's like you can kind of see which way the wind is blowing. I got an email yesterday from uh, a bank that we have a corporate credit card with. It's one of the big five banks. And uh, it's actually paid by our business partner, Ron Hartenbaum, out of New York, uh, who pretty much handles the finances for our show. But I get the emails from them because it's in my name. It was like the headline from this big bank, this big New York bank, the headline was, we can raise your credit limit. You know, these are tough times. Would you like your credit limit raised? Simply click here to update your income information. And of course, what they really plan on doing is if you go in and you click there and say, well, you know, I'm laid off now, so my income is now zero, or I'm working part-time, so my income is now half of what it was, they're going to cut your credit limit, right? They're going to start, yeah, I, I mentioned yesterday that they're going to start doing this. They're going to continue doing this. So, you know, navigating tough times. Uh, obviously, don't buy non-essential items. Contact your creditors. Look at things that you might not have noticed on your credit card bill in particular. Do you have movie channels that you don't use? Uh, do you have, you know, I mean, don't cancel your health insurance, but you know, your car insurance, I, there's, there's a lot of things you can do. A dear old friend of ours, uh, Louise and I actually met at a party at his home where I was living at the time, sent me an email and he said, you know, we're that retirement couple that doesn't need the 1200 bucks. They live in Lansing, which is where we grew up. Their stimulus went to the Greater Lansing Food Bank, to the Cristo Ray Community Center, to the City Rescue Mission of Lansing. And that's a really cool idea. And I congratulate my friend. He said he don't use my name, so I'm not going to. But I think that that's just a really cool thing. You know, if you got 1200 bucks, there are people out there who desperately need it if you don't. On the other hand, if you do, obviously, you know, keep it. Patrick in Long Island, New York. Hey, Patrick, what's on your mind today? I remember the uh, banana peel era, yes. Uh, yes. I, wanted to say, I wanted to say that I did also watch uh, Andrew Cuomo's uh, conference today, and it was very refreshing to hear him lay out in relatively, you know, easy to understand terms how uh, the southern states, the taker states, uh, you know, grab from the federal pot at any chance they can get, and the federal pot is comprised of the maker states giving their fair share. Uh, uh, it was refreshing to hear somebody give their personal opinion of Mitch McConnell's character for all to hear. Uh, I think Mitch McConnell uh, stays away from the glare when he needs to be under it a little bit more. And I actually think Mitch McConnell does not have the same makeup as Trump and can't handle the pressure. You recall how he acted to Moscow Mitch as if his hair was on fire. Uh, I hate to say anything about Trump, but I'm going to have to say from my experience with people like him, he now is enjoying himself. The bleach things, their little chuckles he has to himself. He's not serious about any of this. He's playing little psychotic sociopathic games. And well, he's, he's also doing it. the he's also doing the P.T. Barnum thing, Patrick. You know, back before the election, he was asked who his favorite author was, and he said P.T. Barnum. Yes. And, and yes. P.T. Barnum famously said, "I don't care what they say about me as long as they spell my name right." Trump got 
the top of the headlines again. He grabbed the news cycle again. Every day he tries to grab the news cycle. He doesn't care if it's negative or positive. He just wants to be at the top of the news cycle. And that's what he got. And he's, and he's getting free publicity once again from MSNBC, from CNN. And I recall during the, two, uh, the 216 election, they would show a little insert on the screen of his plane sitting on the tarmac for three, four hours. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, we're you breathlessly awaiting it. Donald Trump. Yeah, and, and the free publicity, you couldn't put a dollar figure on it. So uh, uh, 468 deaths overnight in New York. So unfortunate as that is to say, it is leveling off somewhat. So as you heard from the press conference, yeah, there's things are looking a little bit towards stability, for uh, lack of a better word. Thanks yeah, the big problem that we have, though, is that Andrew Cuomo goes on TV and says we are flattening the curve here in New York. And down in Georgia, people are watching that going, oh, cool, we can come out now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, uh, you know, what do you guys not understand? I mean, they're, they're, they're flattening the curve in New York by social distancing or physical not, distancing. We're doing not, it here in, in Oregon. We, you know, they did it in California. They're doing it in Washington State. These are states that are not having their hospitals melt down because we shut down the states. And, you know, the next step is to figure, you know, if we've got to develop a vaccine. It's going to be a while and we need a federal government that will help out like the federal government of Australia, of New Zealand, of, of you know, all the northern European countries. You know, you are not seeing widespread mass unemployment in those countries. You are not seeing small businesses failing. Yes, it's going to be a tough time, but nothing like we're seeing here. But here we've got this incompetent administration and you've got a Republican Senate that is only willing to shovel money to rich people and big corporations. And it's just, it's a, it's a crime. Patrick, you're spot on in all your observations and comments. Thank you very much for the call. Larry in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Larry, what's on your mind today? Uh, wondering about your opinion on why the farmers are throwing away food. The farmers who are throwing away food are doing it because they funnel their food into a supply chain that goes pretty much exclusively to restaurants and restaurants are not open right now so they're not buying that food and the kinds of food that they make and the way that they move it and make it and pack it and move it and all that kind of stuff it's all industrial size operations not set up for consumers and so they're having to to plow that food under yes i i i agree with with most of that i've just i've heard some other opinions about how we can't get help to harvest the crop and that's because of trump no, and his not, immigration policies that's not it. You're seeing you're seeing people. I mean, you're seeing farmers literally plow not just un, unpicked fields. I saw one on uh, MSNBC a couple of days ago where they had this giant pile of zucchini. I think it was, and you know they just it was they were going to go out and plow it under, use it as uh, fertilizer, basically compost. Because they can't get help. That's for sure. Another question about Trump and stealing personal protective supplies from certain mm-hmm. states to give them to other states. I mean, I, I mean, if you have proof of that, I would love. Sure. To let me it. give you an example. You can check this out with the Miami-Dade Fire Department. The Miami-Dade Fire Department, Miami-Dade County is one of the few all Democratic counties in Florida. And, the, you know, the, the whole region votes Democratic. And their fire department. Trump, Trump uh, is doing. Uh, just Trump listen to me, Chris. Listen, Chris, hold off. Let me let me just explain this to you. 
And so Miami-Dade Fire Department said there's a whole bunch of people who are in their houses who are sick, and they, they're so sick they can't get to a testing station to find out if they have coronavirus, and we need to get a test to them. So we're going to go to people's homes. All they have to do is call the fire department, and we'll go out to your house, and we will test you. But in order to do that, because you stick this swab up the person's nose, and it has to go way up into the sinuses, which causes people to sneeze and choke whenever you do the test. So you have to have a mask on. Or you're going to get COVID sprayed all over your face. And you've got to have a a mask and a plastic visor on. So the Miami-Dade Fire Department contracted with a company for a million masks, N95 masks, one million of them, which would be enough to keep that county going for about four or five months because you have to change the mask after every use. Uh, The problem uh, the, uh, according to uh, Miami-Dade County Director of Emergency Management, Frank Rollison, R-O-L-L-A-S-O-N, you can contact him if you don't believe me. The problem, according to Rollison, the federal government hijacked the, sh- the shipment. Quote, we were going to meet the plane and actually take those masks. That's like gold, you know, but we got the word from the company that they had been taken by the federal government. Um, uh, so then the Miami Herald went to FEMA and said, why are you stealing these masks? And where, where are you putting them? And FEMA issued an official statement that says, quote, there are bad actors out there who are hoarding. The Department of Justice has assembled a task force to seize PPE. So the bad actors that are hoarding is the Miami-Dade Fire Department. It's also the state of Illinois. Governor J.B. Pritzker was trying to bring in uh, PPE from China. And, and he had to do it. He had to sneak it in, basically, because the federal government was trying to steal it. Um, Elizabeth Warren points out, to date, and I'm quoting from her, to date, uh, Massachusetts, which was one of the first states hit by COVID-19, has received only a fraction of its request for PPE and other medical supplies, while Florida received the full quantity of supplies within three days of their first require, request and also received the full quantity of a second uh, order. Uh, Warren and a bunch of other Democrats are asking, why is this going on? Colorado. Colorado asked for 500 ventilators. Uh, Jared Paulus is a Democrat. He's the governor of Colorado. He asked for that. Trump turned him down. Then Cory Gardner, the Republican senator, publicly asked for some ventilators, and Trump gave him 100 of them and tweeted about it and bragged, we're helping our Republicans. Um, So remember when blunder boy Jared Kushner called these things our stockpile? In 1999, the supplemental emergency uh, supplies were created in the event of a national emergency specifically to hold material for the states. So that's what's going on, Chris. And those are just a couple of examples. There's dozens of them out there. All you have to do is look for them. So you think Trump, Trump himself is ordering that just that blatantly? Yes, I do. And I think that they're holding them in reserve for the red states because they know that in another few weeks, the red states are going to start melting down and they're going to desperately need this stuff. I, I don't know that. It, I don't know that. Give me any evidence that what I said is not true, Chris. Down. Pardon me? You don't you don't think the red states are going to are, are going to get infected? Oh, I, I imagine it's our, I've already had it. I'm sure I'm just a dumb, dumbass farmer. I've already had it. I. I I stay away from my 87-year-old grandma. I stay away from my mom and my stepdad that could be fragile. But I've got to carry on. I mean, I I just fear that there's going to be some suicides. There's going to be some drug overdoses. There's going to be millions of small businesses that just can't make it back. You're absolutely right, Chris. I don't think that it's quite as bad. You're absolutely right. There there is a correlation, actually, between unemployment and suicide. For every point, one point in unemployment, you see generally about a half a point increase in suicide. It's a terrible thing. 
But yeah, if we you look at we have 50,000 dead Americans right now, Chris. More dead Americans, or almost as many dead Americans as died in Vietnam, more than died in the Korean War. It's and, you know, because of Donald Trump's incompetence, because he blundered and screwed this thing up and, and lied to us for months. Chris, you, you need to pay attention You're to what's going on. To the Tom Hartman program. Jessica in Riverside, Illinois. Hey, Jessica, what's on your mind today? Hi. We were on the same wavelength this morning. At first, I had called about Dr. Bright and being replaced by the dog breeder. But that makes me cry. But um, what I wanted to say, I still believe we can fight back. Um, I think everyone should call their congressman and ask them to declare war. Because the thing is, if we access that $800 billion in the military budgets, our states don't have to go bankrupt from buying all these things for the testing kits. I I can't understand why. I'm with you. Yeah. So my. But Mitch McConnell is, has come out and said he doesn't want to bail out the states. Uh, you know, let him go back. He literally said, let the states go bankrupt. And this exactly. morning, they're circulating this memo now over in Mitch McConnell's office called Stop the Blue State Bailout. Well, I think you have such intelligent listeners, and I, I am I'm thrilled with your show. If everyone can call their congressman, um, Congress should take it over. Take over that military budget. Well, Congress is responsible for it, but the administration of the military has to rest with the executive branch, with the, with the commander-in-chief, with the president, unfortunately. Well, or fortunately, I mean, it's a division of, of, of power. Here's the but thing. I get what he, you're saying. He says it's a war, and he says it's a war. So, um, you know, there's a huge military budget. If he wants to actually save any American lives, which I have my doubts, but um, Mm. if he, you know, that would, unfortunately, that would be a boost for him, too. But um, that would, what is all that money doing in our military? Yeah, well, it's, it's uh, you know, making millionaires and billionaires is what it's doing. Um, the zip code where all the military contractors live around Washington, D.C. is now the wealthiest zip code in the United States. Um, but, you know, your, your point is, is uh, taken, and it's taken very well. Mike in Minneapolis. Hey, Mike, what's up? Uh, what you were talking about before with deflation and everything uh, leads one to think about situations that have come in the past, and uh, as you mentioned, our generation doesn't really have much experience with it, except what we read in history books. But I'm wondering if the way this economy is being run, and if we hit a cycle of deflation, could that lead to that other word that the economists don't like that starts with D, and that is devaluation of the currency and then what are Trump supporters to do if and when that happens? Deflation causes an increased value in the currency, not a decreased value in the currency. Now, it's, there is speculation that uh, because we've got you know 40 years of massive federal debt as a result of Reagan, Reaganomics, when Reagan came into office, our total federal debt was less than a trillion dollars. It was $800 billion. By the time he left office eight years later, it was up to $2.5 trillion. And it's just exploded ever since then with every single Republican president adding to the debt. And they're doing this because they think that this is the way that they can force Democrats to cut spending on social programs. So you've got the kind of two competing forces. The government debt and the possibility of defaulting on the government debt is highly inflationary. And yet, 20% unemployment is highly deflationary. 
because wages will go down as wages go down, purchasing power goes down as purchasing power goes down, demand for goods goes down as demand for goods goes down. Sellers start dropping the prices on goods in order to make them sell. As they start dropping the prices on goods, people start waiting to buy things, thinking I'll just wait until the price drops a little more. As people wait to buy, demand falls further, so sellers have to drop the prices further. As they're having to drop the prices further, they can't afford to pay wages anymore uh, you know, at the, at the level they are because wages are a percentage of the cost of the goods, so they cut wages. And you get into the spiral, and that is how you get into a depression. And frankly, I think the risk right now that we're facing of deflation and depression is much greater than the risk of devaluation and inflation. Mike, thanks a lot for the call. I may be wrong, and we'll see. But deflation is when the really rich people just clean up, and I think they're fixing You're to do it. listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Mitch McConnell's office is distributing a document titled Stop the Blue State Bailouts. Honest to God. You know, the <laughs> we've been bailing out red states for friggin' decades. But now it's Stop the Blue State Bailouts. This is just nuts. Bill Crystal actually is tweeting about this. He says, it's time for Joe Biden to echo his old boss. There's not a blue state America and a red state America. There's the United States of America. I think this whole business of additional assistance for state and local governments needs to be thoroughly evaluated, Mr. McConnell said. You know, Mitch McConnell is going to go down in history as, as just as incompetent. Actually, Trump is the guy who's going to be going down in history as just as incompetent as Herbert Hoover. McConnell is going to go down in history as, as just as mean and vicious as, I believe it was Andrew Mellon, who was the, uh, who was the uh, what do you call it, uh, Treasury Secretary. But... Anyhow, uh, speaking of economics and the economic crisis that Americans are facing, uh, major U.S. credit card issuers, this from uh, Yahoo Finance News, major U.S. credit card issuers are starting to lower consumer spending limits. In a credit limit, you get a credit card and it says, oh, you've got a $10,000 credit limit or $7,000 or $17,000 or whatever it may be. Um, they're starting to dial these back. They did this in 2009, too, because so many people were declaring bankruptcy and discharging their credit card debt. And so the banks were trying to, you know, preemptively limit their liabilities. Uh, and uh, they're doing the same thing. The problem is that when, you're, when your line of credit, your available uh, line of credit goes down, um, that damages your credit score, which makes other credit less available to you. So this is these knock-on effects that, that we were talking about with Professor Wolf, how these things happen. Meanwhile, as people are trying to save money, for example, uh, Cabot Jaffe Sr., 83, of Maitland, Florida, uh, who was buying his asthma drug from a pharmacy in Canada because it was 35% less expensive, 
The headline, California Healthline, the headline, amid pandemic, FDA seizes cheaper drugs from Canada. It's very aggravating, said Mr. Jaffe Sr. He had his asthma drugs seized by the FDA. Incredible. The, uh, at the same time that the federal government is seizing PPE and holding it uh, for the Trump administration, presumably to pass out to red states when this, when this starts getting really, really bad in the red states. Meanwhile, Jaguar Health makes an anti-diarrhea medication. Apparently some significant percentage, 15, 20, 30 percent of, uh, you know, it's, a, it's fewer than half, but it's a significant percentage of people who get COVID. One of the symptoms is severe diarrhea. And this company has uh, uh, petitioned the FDA to authorize their drug for use with COVID-19 patients. And uh, they took the price for a 60-pill bottle of Mytesi, M-Y-T-E-S-I is the name of the drug, from $668, that's for one 60-pill bottle, to $2,206. Yeah, hey, there's an epidemic. Let's make some money. Mitch McConnell, meanwhile, saying, I am in favor of letting the states go bankrupt. He was on, um, oh, whose program was this? Oh, Hugh Hewitt, of course. He was on Hugh Hewitt's show, and Hugh Hewitt said, you know, California, Illinois, and Connecticut, uh, they're, they're trying to get money from the federal government to bail out their employee pensions. Now, Hugh Hewitt and Mitch McConnell are no fans of employees having pensions. Oh, my God. Benefits for workers? Screw the workers. We got to have benefits for the billionaires. So anyhow, he raises this. You know, uh, the the red states are asking for some relief in these multi-billion dollar congressional bailouts. Uh, The blue states, excuse me, are asking for some relief. And uh, McConnell says, there's not going to be any desire on the Republican side to bail out state pensions by borrowing money from future generations. Phil Murphy, the governor of New Jersey, says that's completely and utterly irresponsible. Bill de Blasio, Blasio, the mayor of New York City, uh, tweeted that McConnell, quote, wants police officers to lose their jobs. He wants firefighters to go broke. He wants hospitals to close and six people thrown out on the street. McConnell bragged about how he blocked additional state and local aid in the latest relief package. He said, I said yesterday we're going to push the pause button here because I think this whole business of additional assistance for state and local governments needs to be thoroughly evaluated. We're not interested in solving their pension problems for them, McConnell said, of blue states that give pensions to their employees. The National Governors Association, meanwhile, said the states and municipalities will need at least a half a trillion dollars, five hundred billion dollars in aid to deal with this crisis, uh, in large part because not only are their tax revenues collapsing, people aren't working and so they're not paying state income taxes. Uh, The tax revenues are collapsing at the same time that demand for for help is exploding. People people are looking for food, they're looking for unemployment, they're looking for housing help, they're looking at anything they can get. And, and this, is, this just highlights the cruelty of the Republicans. Uh, Donald Trump just uh, said that any, anybody who uses an individual taxpayer identification number, if you're here on a green card, that's, you have that instead of a Social Security number. And according to the ACLU, this is a deliberately cruel carve-out. A million 
people who are married to American citizens yet do not yet have their U.S. Uh, citizenship are not going to get the $1,200 check specifically because they're immigrants, legal immigrants. There are, according to the uh, Migration Policy Institute, over 10 million people are affected by this exclusion. At least a million of them being spouses of people. Amazing. And uh, Brad in Fife Lake, Michigan. Hey, Brad, what's on your mind? The Republicans through the years have been pushing the idea on people that the corporations are the ones that control the economy, and we should all be thankful for that. But uh, the economists, like Richard Wolf, you know, has always said, no, it's the, the people, the working class people. Well, this COVID, uh, uh, you know, stay at home uh, stuff, people out of work. Here's the proof. You know, the people don't work. The economy shuts down. Yeah, absolutely. The And this is why I keep saying that this this uh, economic crisis is going to get a whole lot worse before it gets better. And it's going to get a lot worse because not only are you seeing a collapse in income, but the, the what comes out of a collapse in income is a collapse in demand. When you've got 20 percent of the people unemployed in the country and probably another 30 or 40 percent being very, very concerned for the future of their employment or at least their employment at the price that they're being paid right now or at the, the wage yes. rate, at the salary that they're being yes. paid right now, they stop buying things. And when people yeah. stop buying things, then, you know, the retail stores start laying people off and, uh, you know, yeah. even Amazon. And, 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 and it's just a, it's a it's a it's a vicious cycle downward. Corporations can't make uh, make their products, you know, for people to buy stuff like that. But uh, we need to, as uh, a working class uh, people, force our democratic pub, you know, politicians to start hammering hard on this issue and debunk the Republican, uh, you know, idea or what they're pushing, their lie that, uh, you know, they got to they got to bail out the corporations because they're the they're the important ones. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Brad, thank you. Well said. Robert in Grays Lake, Illinois. Hey, Robert, what's up? OK, uh, I, I've called him before and I've kind of uh, alluded to this, but I've, I have two main points. Uh, you know as well as I think a lot of your listeners do that from the from Reaganomics going forward, the Democratic Party has sort of like gone along with this conservatism, you know, trickle down this, that, or the other, and then they get caught red-handed, realizing, oops, they pulled a quick one on us again. Yeah, I'm saying that any reasonably educated person about 20th century history if you took all of the these incidences that trump has done the republican party has done and if that were described in the context of nazi germany people would immediately go oh, yeah it's, it's a fascist takeover as a matter of fact several months ago you read a description of hitler that almost all your listeners thought it was donald trump so what i'm getting at about the dnc about and I think every listener should do this, and I, and I would hope the next time you get a, get a congressman on here, this, they get confronted with this. It's time for the Democratic Party to recognize what is afoot in this country is a, is, a, is a seizure of all political, economic, and judicial power through fascism. That's where we're at. I, I, 
And, and I, I, I agree with you, Robert. I think that oligarchy, the kind of oligarchy that has been brought to us by Reaganism, is rapidly morphing into a form of tyranny. And it concerns me tremendously. I, I just I can't overstate how alarmed I am by this. They're exploiting everything they've got. Now, that said, American Bridge, which has put, put together some of the most hard-hitting ads using Donald Trump's only own words to uh, indict him, and the Biden campaign. Uh, the Trump campaign has now, or Donald Trump, has now filed lawsuits against television stations. In one case, uh, a small station in, as I recall, uh, northern Wisconsin or Minnesota, uh, complaining that uh, about this American Bridge ad, uh, they're also now apparently suing to stop a, a Joe Biden ad. So apparently we're getting under their skin, which is a good thing. Uh, so, you know, pushing back. Jennifer in Cape May, New Jersey. Hey, Jennifer, what's up? Randy Rhodes looked into the swab problem and found a company in rural Maine that makes swabs, but it's small. And they have the man that owns it has been going online asking the federal government to place an order with him so that he could go out and buy more machines to make more swabs or as many as we need. Yeah, I saw that report on NBC. And you're right. And uh, in fact, I had forgotten about it earlier when I said, uh, you know, they make all that stuff in in, uh, China. Yes, we're getting a lot of our swabs from China, but there's this company in Maine that's making the swabs. They've gone to like, you know, three eight-hour shifts. They're running 24-7 to making swabs. Um, and the guy says, I can double my production if I double my machines, but I'm not going to buy a 30, 40, 50, $100,000 machine or build one. I think he was talking about actually building his own machines. He said, I'm not going to buy or build a machine if I don't know that I've got an order big enough to pay for the machine. So if the federal government came in and said, we're going to buy swabs for all 50 states and we would like 50 million swabs, please, then, you know, or 100, 300 million swabs, that would be enough to test almost every American once. Um, he's, you know, if the federal government came in and said, we'll place this order or we'll simply guarantee this order, then he can buy those machines or he might even be able to get a line of credit to buy those machines or build those machines. But, you know, Donald Trump is uh, taking this uh, and, and Mitch McConnell as well, this position that not our problem. Let the states deal with this. Larry in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Larry, what's on your mind today? What is the realistic time frame in regard to uh, repairing the damage that uh, the economy has experienced here. What is opening up the country? I mean, opening it up to what? Where are the jobs going to be after so much destruction has been done? I think we're looking at a decade or two, frankly, to repair the damage. We're not going to go back to normal anytime soon. It's certainly not going to happen in the next year or two even with a vaccine, even with widespread use of the vaccine, even if the vaccine is highly effective. This is still Mm -hmm. going to be creeping around in all the corners of the country. And as we learn more about it, you know, the virus itself, we'll see if it's going to eventually just become a nuisance disease, you know, like measles has become sort of thing, where we all get vaccinated against it. And, you know, every now and then somebody gets it and, you know, or there's a little outbreak and everybody freaks out. But by and large, it's a nuisance disease as opposed to, uh, you know, we have to shelter in place for generations like they had to do when the bubonic plague came through, and, you know, or uh, diphtheria or typhoid back before they had any ways of dealing with those diseases. And I think that anybody who says that they know how this is going to play out is wrong. The one thing that alarms me the most, though, is that most of the reporting I'm seeing is, in my opinion, wildly too optimistic. Agreed. 
This is an opportunity for us to reevaluate how our economy works. You know, we, the, the, the question that, I, that is at the core of my book, Screwed, that came out back in 2005 and is still, I think, one of the best books I've written. The question at the core of that book is, is the economy here to support us or are we here to support the economy or at least the people who are the principal owners of the economy? And mm-hmm. prior to Reagan, the belief in America was that the economy was here to support us and that, you know, it, there had to be a strong middle class to have a vibrant democracy and all that kind of stuff. Reagan flipped that upside down and said, no, you workers are here to support the billionaires, the, the so-called job creators, right? I think that for the first time in 40 years, outside of the progressive part of the Democratic Party, there is a conversation going on about, is this really the way that we want things to be? Does this really work? And I think there's a dawning realization, even on the right wing yahoos, that this system doesn't work, that it really only benefits the people who are, you know, friends and cronies of the billionaires and of the politicians on the right. So we'll see where it goes, Larry. I am, as you can guess, not a raging optimist, and I always hope for the best, but this situation I think is being understated. Gary in Boulder City, Nevada. Hey, Big Gary, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. I just wanted to remind viewers that the incident command system, we should be under a uh, form of unified command. And there are extensive plans at uh, HHS that unifies everything from in the federal government, FEMA, the military, all the way down to all the states, all the counties, all the cities and districts. I don't see any evidence that this has been activated. I just see the clown. Do you work in this field, Gary? I'm a retired firefighter, and I'm familiar with the ICS. It's the NIMS, the National Incident Emergency Management System. It should be activated. We should be seeing an incident commander with structure that can that can manage the logistics, manage the planning, manage the finance, manage you know, know what's going on in this uh, pandemic as far as needs and getting, you know, if they have to call the uh, the military to, to move masks and PPE to a certain place where it needs to be, it's all done. But this seems to be just a, a clownish television show to me. And anybody that goes to HHS or looks at FEMA or looks at any of the emergency management agencies, you can see that this system exists. I mean, there's a structure for this. There's extensive plans on this. All you have to do is just Google HHS. Uh, uh, I thought pandemic, a lot of this uh, stuff got kicked into place when Trump declared a state of emergency. Was it is such a limited state of emergency that he declared that it didn't happen? Or is it, I, is I it can't fi- in place now and he's not doing it? I can't figure it out. I would assume that limited parts of it, but it has to be from the top down. There has to be a national incident commander, and he will unify uh, along the functions of, of health delivery services and things like that. Yeah. Wow. I, you know, it's, we've got these phony grassroots groups that are being funded by billionaires who want their companies to reopen because they want their revenue to continue exactly. mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and don't want their taxes to go up. And they're watching their tax money going out, you know, to people who are unemployed. There's got to be a relationship between these two things. Gary, thank you for the call. Thanks for joining us on Free Speech TV there in Boulder City, Nevada. I appreciate it. And a special thanks to our staff, to Louise, Sean, Nate, Joyce, Nigel, Sue, Patrick, Gerilyn, Dave, Ron, and Chase. And to you, special thanks to you for listening to our program or watching our program or both. We so appreciate it. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Be good to yourself and others. 
you know, the, the old Boy Scout motto, do a good deed every day. It's kind of hard to do, actually. A good deed, define a good deed as something nobody knows you did. Do a good deed. Tag, you're it. We'll see you on Monday. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 